Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. The date uh, was September 22nd. The year was 1776. And he was the only man, the only person to volunteer for this mission, a mission that would prove to be a deadly one. He was caught being a spy for the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War. And before he was hanged on British gallows, the captain, Nathan Hale, rather famously said this. He said, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Long before Drake, he got YOLO. He got it. You only have one life. And he regretted that he only had one life to lose for his country. I wonder, could you or would you say that for your God? I regret that I have but one life to live for my Savior. This morning we read a parable, a parable where two people did just that. They lived their life totally, fully, completely for God. But there was one who didn't. He lived it for himself or herself. The question I want to ask you is, what was the difference? What was it about the two that made them live radically different than the one? Let's first be clear on what it wasn't. It wasn't the amounts. It wasn't the amounts that they received. Yes, they got different amounts. One got five, one got two, but one received one. But nowhere in the parable does it give the hint that the difference in the way they acted was based on the amount they received. The master, Jesus, telling this story, says that they gave it according to our abilities. It would equate to a million dollars, one bag. So your one bag man still had a million dollars. Nothing really to complain about. Secondly, it's all relative. Like, look at the way the master, who is God, talks about it. He calls it a few things. I've just given you a few things to both the five, the two, and the one bag man. And he says the same thing. To each one, he says exactly the same thing. So it's not about money. It's not about the amounts of money. So what is it about? What's the difference between the two that faithfully used what was entrusted to them and the one who didn't. We start to see it at the end. Look at verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. Now catch this. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, you said, I know that you are a hard man. The, the word there for like hard man, 
is like cruel, mean, not nice. I know you are not nice. And so I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Catch the difference? You have entrusted me. You have entrusted me. You're mean. You're cruel. Do you know what it means when someone gives you a trust or someone has entrusted you with something? It means they trust you. It means they trust you to take care of what they have. At the very least, even if they don't trust you, they've given it to you because they're generous, because they're kind, because they're good. The opposites of mean, the opposites of being cruel. But what does the one servant think? He says, you are cruel. I was afraid. Let me remind you what this parable is about. It's about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. A man going on a journey who will call his servants and entrust his wealth to them. So let's take some time this morning to do a little accounting, shall we? What has the Lord entrusted to you? If you were here last week, we talked about this concept of biblical stewardship, how stewardship is the totality of the management of the things that God has given me, time, treasures, talents, and his truths. Has God given you a house? That's from him. That's his. Has God given you a spouse? That's, that's his. That's his son. That's his daughter. Has God given you kids? Those are his too. How about your talents? Your ability to show generosity and kindness to someone. Your ability to think logically and reasonably. Your ability to create things with your hands. That's from God. So also your retirement fund, that's God's. Your savings account, that is God. All of these are God's. God has entrusted all of these things and so many more to us. The only question is, how are you using them? Because he's gone away on a journey, if you will. And he's coming back. And what your God wants to know is, are you using them? Are you using them to give glory to him, to give honor to him, to give praise to him? Or are you burying it? Are you burying it in yourself? Your self-advancement, your self-entertainment, your self-preservation. It's one or the other. It can't be both. Are you using the totality of everything that God has entrusted to you to give him honor and glory and thanks and praise and love for that which he has shown you? Or are you burying it in yourself? That's the fascinating thing about this parable. Scripture is really clear. There is hell to pay if you are doing the latter, if you are using that which God has given you for yourself. Jesus talks a lot in the New Testament about heaven and hell. But seven times he uses this phrase to describe hell, where there's, there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. You want to know where one of those times he used it is? 
It's with this parable. And the fascinating thing about this parable and the person that Jesus calls a wicked, lazy, worthless servant, do you wanna know what his crime is, what his rebellion is, what his sin is? He's not a pimp. He's not a prostitute. He's not a drug dealer. He's not a rapist. You wanna know what his crime is? Nothing. Doing nothing. That's why he's wicked. That's why he's lazy. Needs to be said. If you have a house, and if you have a nice house, if you have a car, or just any car, a nice car, or not, if you do fun things, have experiences that you pay for to enjoy life with your family and friends, that's not wrong. That is not a sin, and that is not what we're saying. But the question we need to consider is how much of what God has given you are you using for him? Or are you bearing for yourself? Are you bearing because you're afraid, just like this man, that I'm afraid that it's not going to be mine anymore, even though it never was in the first place. The question worth considering But can I tell you something else about this parable? Something maybe a little overlooked. It's about the two faithful servants. It's worth saying these aren't angels. They're people. They're people just like the other servant. They're people who aren't perfect, but there's something different about them. There's something different about them that took place long before this story began. There's something different in them that caused them to act a very certain way when they were given $2 million, $5 million like that and said, you're entrusted with it. Do Do something with it. What is that? What is that thing that is different? I want you to think about that as maybe we think about this last week a little bit. On Wednesday, uh, we remembered uh, September 11th, the terrorist attacks that took place in our country 18 years ago. As we did that, one thing stood out to me as I read the news, watched the news, and, and also read what people posted on social media. It was the polarization of good and evil that is remembered on that day. On one hand, you have great evil. You have truly vile and wicked ideologies that use human transportation as weapons of mass destruction. You have hatred. And yet right next to that, you see the complete opposite. You see selflessness, you see sacrifice, and you see love. I just want to give you a few examples of that. And one includes this one, Wells Crowther, a 24-year-old who was an equities trader on the 108th floor in the South Tower. When it was hit, he went down, evacuated the building like most, but he stopped. He made the choice to stop instead of keep going down on the 78th floor and freed 18 people who were able to make it out to safety. What's more is he then started to climb back up instead of following them down and he helped more people 
get out safely before eventually losing his life. There's stories like Betty Ong, who was a flight attendant aboard United Flight 11 that eventually crashed into the North Tower. Instead of being afraid and and only thinking of herself and then hiding on that flight when she realized there was something bad about to happen, she picked up the phone, bravely, calmly took time to give as much information as she could to her colleagues about the situation that was happening. And it was her information that really ignited the investigation put on by our country and the FBI. The stories like the gentleman, Rick Rescrolo, who was a Vietnam veteran, but also the, the head of security for Morgan Stanley in the North Tower. He not only bravely helped 2,700 people evacuate that building, but he also took the time to sing songs during the evacuation to keep them calm before he again went in to the tower to help even more people evacuate before eventually losing his life. And we could go on, we could go on, right? And talk about countless first responders and men and women who have given their lives fighting for freedom across the country as a result of that day. We could talk about the men and women aboard flight, United Flight 93, that eventually crashed instead of crashing into a building. And we could tell their stories, but you see it already, don't you? You see great examples of love and sacrifice compared to examples of hatred and violence and cruelty. Every once in a while in this world, we get to see that. We get to see examples of a love like his. Because as great as those people sacrifice on that day, really, we know it doesn't hold a candle to Christ's sacrifice, who rushed into a burning building for us, who took the weight of our sin for us, who stood starkly in contrast to all that is evil, all that is broken, all that is wrong. And we see him do it to invest in us, in our future, in our forever There was only two options. It wasn't one or the other. It wasn't a combination of both. The option was either you deal with it. You deal with your sin for yourself or have Christ do it. And the only one who could volunteer for that mission did so. He chose to do so. He chose to do so before time began. Knowing what would happen, he chose to make you his own. And that's the difference. That's the difference between these servants. The two knew goodness. They knew love. They knew that about their master. They knew that he trusted them, loved them, and was generous and kind. And they lived out of that. All their actions flow out of it. And what did they receive for it? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. Come share in all my happiness. Come share in everything that's mine. They knew love. They knew his love and that was the key difference. Love was their motivator. And sadly, love was the difference maker for the one servant, the wicked servant, the worthless servant, the lazy servant. It's because he found that love to be meaningless. 
irrelevant, unimportant. They did nothing. The question that we have to wrestle with is what are we doing with the love that God has given us? Look around you. There are massive amounts of gifts here. There are a variety and differing amounts of gifts here in this church. You want to know what the key is to maximizing those gifts? It's actually not doing anything except knowing this. (laughs) There's one who loves you. (laughs) There's one who loves you a lot. And his name is Jesus. He loves you so very much. And the key to maximizing your gifts, the key to maximizing our gifts, to using all of our time, all of our talents, all of our treasures, is just knowing how much he loves us. The key to eventually getting to heaven and hearing that, (laughs) well done. (laughs) It starts with just knowing that, with knowing how much he loves you and letting that be the motivator for all that you do. Because you only have one life. You only have one life to live for your savior. And you only have one life to lose for your savior. Use it or lose it. But there need not be any regret with that one life. Because that life is an eternal life. So let's get to work. Amen. For our study this morning, we're talking about the concept of open minds. And it's not just having an open mind to thinking about what you should give, but it's having an open mind to knowing just how much God has given you. Just to stop for a second and open up your mind and think about the blessings that God has poured out on his people. This morning, what we're doing is going to now enter into the discussion portion of that. So I want to encourage you guys to open up your worship guides. And our first question is this. Take a look at these charts. Which one depicts the way that scripture talks about us giving to God? Is it the first one where two and a half percent belongs to me or excuse me, to God and 97 and a half percent belongs to me? Or is it tithing? Is it 10%? 10% belongs to God, 90% belongs to me. And we can get into the debate if that's before taxes or after taxes, but that's it. Or is it the latter? Nothing belongs to me. Zero. Zero percent belongs to me and 100% belongs to God. Which one is it? The last one. The last one. You want to know what the first one represents? Two and a half percent? That is what the average churchgoer who regularly goes to church gives to God in America. Average churchgoer. They give two and a half percent of their income. You want to know what Americans gave during the Great Depression? Just under 4%. Average churchgoers gave 4% then. What does that say about modernization and materialism? 10% is the concept of tithing. The idea that I got to give God his cut. Everything else belongs to me. And we're going to blow that concept up wide open today in our study. Because third is the way the Bible talks about stewardship. The way the Bible talks about giving, including finances, is that it all belongs to him. If you're tracking the fill in the blanks, this is the first one. Proportionate giving begins by recognizing who really is the owner. 
who owns everything. It's God, right? Here's some passages that highlight that. You got them in front of you if you want to read them with me. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been named. Job 33, the spirit of God has made me. The breath of the almighty gives me life. Also in Job, the Lord said, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Exodus 19, the Lord said, the whole earth is mine. So here's the truth that I'm gonna ask you to reflect on in just a moment. God created everything and therefore he owns everything. God created everything, therefore he owns everything. And here's what I want you to really wrestle with. This is true and it is. I want you to take a time, take a, take a minute here, two minutes, I'm gonna give you two minutes to write two or three sentences reflecting on this truth and reflecting on this question. How might my life be different if I lived remembering that truth all of the time? Take a second, write a short paragraph about how your life would be different. Why don't you take 10 seconds, wrap up the thought you're wrestling with. I asked you to write two to three sentences reflecting on that truth, what it would make a difference. I'm going to ask two to three people uh, if they'd be willing to share what they wrote. I'll start, but I don't count. I said my life would, would probably have a lot less fear. Um, I really related with that part of the parable as I read through it, like part of why I am so selfish, part of why I'm so selfish with my time, with my talents, with my finances is because I'm afraid. I'm afraid what would happen if I actually, <laughs> uh, if I actually pray, prayed, Lord, use me how you want. Use my time how you want. <laughs> I was talking about this with a friend and she said, I don't pray that prayer <laughs> because I'm afraid of what might happen. I'm afraid of what might happen if God answered that prayer. If I, if I said to him, God, use me and my time and my finances the way you want, that he actually would. And I like my life <laughs> is what my friend said to me. I said, I can relate. But I think if I remember that, that it's not my life anyways, I live with a lot less fear. And that's a good thing. Although it's very difficult to get there. By faith though, that's possible. I'm talking too much. I'm asking two to three people. Would you write? Yeah, Whitney. Yeah, I wouldn't have stresses. Because if I knew that, oh, time is up to God, it's his time, I wouldn't worry about it. If I knew finances were things that I have, money that I have, opportunities to make money were from God, I, would, I wouldn't worry about it. It wouldn't be a worry. That's good. Less fear, less worry, less stress. Dr. Soto, I would just have less stuff. I know you're not a hoarder. That's why I'm asking. You're, you're one of the most clean, tidy people I know. Um, but yeah, just have less stuff. Yeah. I, I, uh, I tell my wife I'm a sentimentalist just so I can hang on to stuff. Like, oh, it means something to me. Yeah, it wouldn't matter. You said it wouldn't matter. Just, just give it away. Cool. Here's this next part. Part three, we're getting into point counterpoint. The way we think about wealth, possessions, money. Um, I'm gonna say things people say, and then I'm gonna read things that God says. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Respond. What is God saying in his own words? I'm gonna read it. You put it in your words, all right? We'll do this for each one. Last year, I made five, four, three, two, one. God says, 
every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the heavenly father. James chapter one, what's he saying? Tep, go ahead. Yeah, I gave that to you. (laughs) That's a gift. Right on. People say, I put in my time. God says, now listen, you who say tomorrow or today, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James chapter four, what's God saying? Yeah, your time is short and it's not yours. The, the idea of urgency, it's there. Am I reading something into it, Brittany? Or? Yeah, yeah, it's so short. The time you have is so short. What are you doing with it? Don't worry about it, it's, it's, it's my time. This next one, people say it's my brain, my talent that are responsible for my success. God says, God is talking about the man who built the tabernacle, beautiful piece of art and craftsmanship. This is what God says. He says, I have filled Baziel with the spirit of God, with skill, ability, knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood. What's God saying? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. The abilities, like, oh, I work hard. Oh, I'm creative. Oh, I'm, you fill in the blank. Like, oh, I'm this. I'm generous. I'm kind. I'm thoughtful. I'm caring. Like that ability to be that, to do that, that is innate. That is taught by the Holy Spirit who made you. That is given to you by God. People say, I've worked hard for what I've got. God says, you may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord, your God, for it was he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. What's God saying? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, get over yourself. Here's what we're gonna do in this next part. Uh, Let's talk about the truths first. Um, The truths from this section. If I don't recognize God's complete ownership, let's start here. Let's just repent. It's idolatry. Uh, It's worshiping another God, whether my time is my God, whether my talents are my God, or whether my money is my God. Let's repent of that. And here's here's the second thing. If I do recognize God's complete ownership, as we should, and as a forgiven child of God, I give to him generously. Here's Here's the cool part. If my life's focus is on earthly possessions, every day I live is a day I am coming closer to losing everything. If you focus on wealth and possessions. But if my life's focus is on heaven, then every day is a day I live that I come closer to gaining everything. Think about that. If you don't use it, you lose it here on earth. But if you live as though everything is already yours in Christ and it's all his anyways, every day that you live is a day closer for gaining everything. Here's what we're going to do in this next section. We're going to answer some frequently asked questions. And here's part of why we're going to do this. Um, can I just tell you guys something? I'm, I'm kind of having fun with this 
uh, sermon series. One, because it's been a blessing to me personally as the way I look at my finances and what God says to do with them. Um, And I get to talk about parts of God's word that don't normally get talked about. And here's another one. I get to talk to, get to, talk to you guys about like giving. Uh, I can't tell you, I did not expect this. I've had so many families come up to me uh, after, after last week and talk to me about their giving philosophy. I didn't ask. <laughs> I didn't ask what your philosophy on giving is. Um, and, in a, and take this the best way. I don't care what your philosophy of giving is, as long as you're giving to the Lord and you're giving uh, cheerfully and you're giving without feeling obligated and guilty and pressured, but you're giving out of a place of love, right? Um, I don't care how much you give. In fact, I don't know how much any of you give. I make it my job not to know. Our finance team does, they track all of that, but I don't know. I don't know what proportion you give. I don't know any of that. And yet this week, I've had so many people come up to me and kind of tell me about their philosophy of giving. And you know what that says to me? It says to me that God's people are really, really excited about God's word. (laughs) They're really motivated by God's word about what God's word says about giving. And I think that's amazing. I've had some really, really fun conversations uh, with people about that. But can I tell you something else that it also says to me? Almost every conversation hasn't really ended with this exact question, but with like an air of it. So what should I do with 10 for 10? (laughs) So this is my philosophy. So what what, what should I do? And I I haven't told anybody explicitly, like, this is what you should do. And we're going to talk about the goal. I'm going to tell you what to do at the end of our time today. Um, But people have questions about it. So that's what I'm going to ask us to wrestle with here in the first one. Um, First question is this. Um, what percentage should I give? So we're talking about proportionate giving. We know that tithing isn't a rule. It's not a legal mandate. No, Christ fulfilled the law. We give out of cheerfulness, right? So uh, what should I give? So we're turning the table on legalism. First, how do you define legalism? How do you understand that? Yeah, belief that following the law can earn me salvation and like an obsessiveness with laws that don't exist, there isn't a law about Christians must give this percentage. Okay? It's, it's not in the Bible, all right? So to the question, what portion should I give? Let's just talk about this for a second. Um, did you know in the Old Testament, Abraham gave a 10th? He gave a tithe and God was super, super pleased by that, right? And we often say, well, of course, Old Testament, they had to give a tithe. Well, that's actually inaccurate. Did you know they had to give several tithes, multiple tithes? They're commanded to give a tithe to the priests. They're commanded to give a tithe for specific festivals. They're commanded to give a tithe once every three years, a separate one on top of the other two for the poor. They're told to give multiple tithes, not just one. Did you also know that in the New Testament, Zacchaeus gave 50% of his wealth and possessions away. Once he found out how much God had given him and how much love God had for him, he gave away half. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have the example of uh, two widows that each gave away everything, everything that they have given. So why am I talking about this? Why am I making this point right now? Here's the point. The point is the percentage of what you give need not be based on 10 to 5 
15, 50, or 100%. There is no biblical mandate for it, except for this one, 2 Corinthians 9. Each person should give what they have decided to give in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. That is my prayer. That is my goal, that everyone give cheerfully, that whenever you drop what you drop in the collection plate as it comes around, it is given with so much joy, so much happiness that maybe you're not doing it in, in, in your seat, but in your head, you are doing the happy dance. You are so glad that when you're at home and you click your give online, that you are just thrilled. You are excited to do that because you love Jesus. One of my favorite things about like having a toddler is just seeing the total lack of inhibitions and like care when something makes him happy. Like when his favorite songs comes on, like just the joy that goes into just dancing that way. What if you just lost your inhibitions with knowing your Lord, with knowing how much he has given you? And yes, he wants you to be a good steward. That means you have to pay bills. You have to eat. You have to save up for retirement. You, you need to do these things. But when it came to giving, it was just joy. I am just glad. I am just glad that I get to do this. And whether you gave two, three, four, five, 10, 11, 12, 20, 21, 22%, it makes no difference. It's joy. That's the prayer. That's the goal. That's the idea of proportionate giving. Here's the next one. How much of God's money do I need to live on? We're going to turn the table on greed with this one. And this is what you're going to discuss with a neighbor, two people, uh, two families, if you will, who gave more. That's what you're going to discuss. Family, first family here is a single mom with two children who made $30,000 last year and gave 2,500 in offerings. Second is a two-income family with two children who made $110,000 last year, and they gave $11,000 in offerings. Take a minute, talk to the person next to you. Who gave more? I saw some of you taking your calculators out, doing the math. Who gave more? Mark said the two-income family. They gave 10%. They gave $11,000. All right, anyone disagree with Mark? He knows he's pretty good at numbers. I trust him. Oh, Julie, Julie disagrees. But Julie, she gave 8.3%. And I saw some people taking their calculators out. That's not more. Sure, we're just talking about money. And I think you're talking about the impact that that has, right? So the impact, the way, we, and disagree with this, disagree with this. The impact of living off of $27,500 that would have on an American family uh, in a household where there's one parent and two children has a radically different impact than a family with two parents, two incomes, and $99,000. Again, it's, it's not about the amount. And this is why this scenario is set up. It's not even about the percent. Relatively, same percent. But it's about this. It's about thinking through, and I said this is turning the table on greed, right? Thinking through needs versus wants. There are needs and there are wants, right? What do you need? The question isn't, well, what do I need to give to God? And what do I need for myself? What if this was our prayer? God, Holy Spirit, not only help me to be content, not only help me to recognize everything comes from you, but what if this was my prayer? God, 
shape my wants. Shape my wants. When it comes to earthly things and the things that I think I need, shape them by your power, by your spirit. Shape them to be in line with your will and your word. Lord, that was our prayer. Here's the next one, fun one to think about. What will my investment be earning 50,000 years from now? We're going to turn the table on materialism. Matthew 6 says, Jesus says, speaking there, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Martin Luther was quoted saying, I've held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. You're going to discuss with your neighbor, how might you enjoy that investment 50,000 years from now? An investment that looks like this. You give $10,000 to support your congregation. Your gift was used to fund efforts to reach the lost. It funded the teaching of God's word to young and old alike. It funded a ministry center whose walls saw hundreds and hundreds of people baptized while it stood. Discuss with your neighbor, how might you enjoy that investment 50,000 years from today? Take a minute. Let me hear from some people I haven't heard from yet. What'd you talk about? What if your investment was able to bring someone who was going to go to an eternity of hell with you to an eternity of heaven? How are you enjoying that investment? Well, I'm enjoying it with them. I'm enjoying it with them forever and ever and ever and ever. This is the point uh, of this one. There's a lot of different things that you can do with your money. There's very, there's very little that you can do with it that you would see that kind of return, an eternal return on it. Here's another cool part. Jesus had a treasurer. Jesus had something that shaped um, where he gave. He said it. He said, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. His treasure was in heaven. Ministry requires funding and an earthly investment can bring joy only to this light. But investing in the gospel and investing in gospel ministry, it can reap blessings that you will enjoy forever. This is the last one. And we're just, we're just gonna talk about the point with this one. What if, what if I raise the percentage of my offering for 10 weeks? What happens? Here's the passage I want us um, to focus on. It's, it's printed in there. Second Corinthians 8 said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Think about that. Jesus Christ had everything. He was the richest. He had heaven. He was from a royal family and yet he was born in poverty. He was omnipresent. He could be everywhere. He confined himself to the womb of an earthly mother. He knew only glory, and yet he willingly took on suffering. He knew only what was good. He knew only love, and yet he experienced wrath by choice. Why did he do this? So that you might become rich so that everything that he had, you could have. 
And here's the point. Here's the point with this one. It comes down to the motivation for why you give what you give. The reality is if you give under compulsion, if you give because we're doing this series, don't keep it. God doesn't want it. He says that in his word. But what he wants is you to see such joy, to see such love from him that it moves you to act in line with that. And what that proportion, what that portion might be, that is up to you. You get to prayerfully decide that. You get to choose that. Here's the challenge that we're talking about. Um, we're going to get there. Here's the challenge. If you are not in the spiritual habit of giving proportionately, it is time to rethink that habit because it's something that the Bible talks about. Tithing is not a requirement. That's not the goal of this series. But it can still serve as a proper benchmark for your faithful response to God for who he is and what he has done for you. I told you that I've gotten to talk to a lot of people during this series about it. And that has been a joy. There is oh, so much generosity happening in this family of believers. It's amazing. It's amazing. It, it encourages me and it causes me to give glory to God. And I told you that every once in a while, someone is finishing that conversation with a hint of guilt. So what should I do? What should I do? What if I already, what if I already give 10%? What should you do? What, what if I do this with my offerings? What if I do that? Here's the truth. I'm not going to tell you. This series is not about telling you what to do with it. This series is giving you a perspective, biblical principles on what God says and allowing you to prayerfully, that means faithfully, look at your finances and decide what you want to do. Make a plan. Intentionally do it. That's making a plan. Give it thought. Do it thoughtfully, do it prayerfully, do it faithfully, but above all, do it joyfully, do it cheerfully, knowing that there is one who is smiling because he is, he is looking at you. There is one who is full of joy because you are going to be with him forever. Give out of that. The benchmark, the idea of tithing. Um, if you've read the things that have been coming into your email inboxes or I've sent home with you in the packets, it's talking about a biblical percentage on tithing. And because we're giving a tangible goal, that is it. We're challenging each and every one of you to consider giving 10% for 10 weeks. But what if you're not in a position to do that? What should I do? Well, the challenge is then to consider giving a percent, a half percent, a quarter percent more to God, or just plan what you're going to give him if that's not something you've ever done before. Well, what if I already give 10%? Then just keep giving joyfully. Or look at how you can give proportionately. Look at opportunities that maybe you haven't considered before. That's the goal. <laughs> 